A dysfunctional family is any family with more than one person in it. My name is Andrea, and this is Adult Child. Welcome back to Adult Child, where we take a deep dive into the impact of growing up in a dysfunctional family. And today, we are diving into siblings, the unique experiences of siblings growing up in a dysfunctional family. Now, siblings can have vastly different experiences of growing up in the same dysfunctional household, the effect it has on them the impact it has on them in adulthood. So on Instagram today, I put up a poll and I asked, do you and your siblings have a different perception of your dysfunctional upbringing? And 85% of y'all said yes. Now, one thing that has been so cool to hear is that this podcast is having a positive impact amongst siblings, that you and your siblings are listening to the podcast together and that it has served as a catalyst to have some meaningful and healing conversations about the topics discussed. Now, as y'all know, I am an only child, and I think I've said before that the disease of alcoholism is the closest thing that I have to a sibling, and I've tried to discuss it with him some, and he's not interested. I'm sure that some of y'all have had that experience as well when you've tried to share the podcast with your siblings. So, I found myself three sisters who have been listening to the pod, who have been talking about the pod, three sisters from North Dakota with fabulous North Dakota accents, get pumped for that, who are going to share about their own experience of growing up in the same family and how this has impacted their lives as adults. This is a great conversation. Now, I've been thinking some about my experience of being an adult child and the role that that played, both good and bad. So I meant to say they're my experience of being an only child, not an adult child. But by the time I caught this, I didn't want to have to re-record the whole thing. So I meant only child. And perhaps the grass is always greener, but I have always felt that having a sibling would have provided some sort of comfort. I may be wrong. Some of you are probably saying that your sibling was just another source of pain. But it was tough going through that experience alone. You know, not having anyone else that understood what I was going through, not having anyone to talk to about it, not having anyone to share the load with, having to carry it all myself. And it also made me the default identified patient since there wasn't any other options. But the one positive of being an only child was that I did not have to fight for my parents' love and attention. In a dysfunctional family where love is scarce or absent, Children often end up in a competition with their siblings for that love and attention. And in a family where one parent is a narcissist, it's very common for that parent to have a favorite and then the rest of the siblings feel ignored. And what's really unfortunate about all of this is that this stuff carries through and negatively impacts sibling relationships in adulthood. You know, we may harbor resentments towards our siblings or have certain perceptions of them. But in reality, this is just a result of dysfunctional and unhealthy parenting. What's really beautiful about this conversation with these three gals, with these three sisters, is that they all have a loving and healthy relationship with each other. What's even more beautiful is that they have all sought their own individual recovery to heal from their upbringings. Their parents have not, but they have. And I'm going to go out on a limb and say, I don't think that that's a norm. I do not have any data to support that, but I do know the disease of alcoholism and family dysfunction rather well. And what I know is that there isn't a automatic osmosis effect that occurs when one person in the family seeks recovery. Now, don't get me wrong. It sure as hell helps. There's definitely a higher probability that other family members will seek help if we do. But unfortunately, it can also have the opposite effect. And we've talked about this some, and I think I brought it up with Tian Dayton. You know, the disease of family dysfunction is so freaking powerful. And when it senses that one family member is breaking away from this, 
the other family members subconsciously will do whatever they can to prevent this from happening, to keep the dysfunction alive and thriving. And I want to read a quote from Tian's book, Emotional Sobriety, that I think illustrates this very well. And it says, Those in the system who have the clarity or courage to act as whistleblowers, who attempt to reveal the truth of the family pathology, may be perceived by the family, which is steeped in denial, as in some way problematic. Naming the dysfunctional behavior becomes the sin, not the dysfunctional behavior itself. These members may be cut off, humiliated, or even hated if they get too close to the truth, though much of this may be unconscious. Simply bringing up the family's problems causes other family members who cannot and will not see their own pathology to want to kill the messenger. The message, the truth, threatens their survival as a system. (sighs) And I can relate to this and that this has been my experience to an extent. And I'm sure that it has been the experience of many of you all as well. And it just really emphasizes our lack of control and how we really can only change ourselves. You know, we may heal, grow, but unfortunately, that doesn't mean that the same will happen with our family members. And it also doesn't mean that our relationships with our family members will improve as well. And that's a tough pill to swallow. But just know if that's your experience, you are not alone. So to end on a bit more of a positive note before we speak with these girlies, uh, this upcoming Monday, I am launching the Patreon. I brought this up a few weeks ago. If you didn't hear that episode, Patreon is a platform, a membership platform that allows content creators like myself to connect with supporters and is a way for y'all to show your appreciation and your support and help me grow this podcast. Now, I have put my heart and soul into this podcast and I'm essentially a one-man band, uh, except I don't have a little monkey on my shoulder playing the cymbals. I've asked Kiki to help me out with this shit. She is useless, y'all. But here's the deal. You know, I want this Patreon to be more than just providing you guys with extra content. I want this to be about building a community, an adult child community, which includes having virtual events, live virtual events. So in the show notes, I have included a link to a survey because I would love y'all's feedback on how we can use this platform and also your availability if we were to have virtual events. It takes a lot of time and effort to make this each week, as I've said, So if this podcast has impacted you, if you believe in this cause, if you support this cause, I ask that you please join my Patreon and help a girl out for as little as $5 a month. You know, if you have the means to contribute more than $5 a month, that would be lovely too. And I think you guys know this. I'm not doing this shit for clout. Uh, I would like this to turn into some career in some way. But I am truly doing this to help others. And this podcast is helping a lot of people. This month has been huge. Uh, I've already had over 15,000 downloads for September, which is fucking mind-blowing. So Patreon is an app uh, that you'll sign up. I'll provide all the information that you need. I think you can also access it online. Um, But for anyone out there who's saying, Andrea, I want to help you out. But I'm not interested in downloading another app. Or maybe you're saying, Andrea, I want to help you out, but I really can only bear listening to your voice for one hour a week. Totally understandable. Well, you are in luck. You can head on over to buymeacoffee.com slash adult child. It's in the show notes. And you can make a donation to this hot mess express without downloading any apps or having to listen to my voice more than one hour per week. Truly, from the bottom of my heart, thank you all so much for your love and your support. And this has just been the most amazing experience. And while it's a little weird for me to ask for your financial support, there is one thing that I have no shame in asking for. Give me a damn five-star rating on Apple Podcast right here right now. Thank you all.
It is my pleasure to introduce the Trace Amigas, the three sisters. Welcome, girls. So let's go in um, chronological order here. So big sis, announce yourself. I'm Kayla Mays. I'm 31. I'll be 32 in a couple months. Middle, little middle girl. Hi, my name is Mariah. I'm the middle sister. I am 29 years old. Okay. Jackie. I'm Jackie. Um, I'm 24 years old. So where I was thinking we could start before we talk about your, your upbringings, I was wonder, wondering if each of you had a moment, um, let's say 18 and older, like in quote unquote adulthood, was there a particular moment that you, you realized that you had been negatively impacted by your upbringing? Like, was there a, a period in time where you realized, oh, like, I, I think this might've fucked me up a little bit. So let's start with you, Kayla. Yeah. <laughs> I think honestly, um, I think I knew, I think I always knew there was something off. Um, a lot of my friends would have things like, um, oh, I don't know, family vacations and things like that. And I'm like, that's interesting. I wonder why we don't do those. And um, certain things like like escaping my parents' house, I guess, growing up to just be with my friends and away from the house um, when other people can have like, you know, functional family time. That was kind of few and far between, but I don't think I really realized like how bad it was until I was out of the house and started to kind of like retaliate or rebel or I don't know. I was, I found freedom for the first time, like just me by myself. So I got into a lot of trouble. (laughs) And then I think that's kind of where I was like, okay, there's like, why am I doing these things? Um, but it was mostly like when I listened to your podcast, especially what I connect to is more of the relationship issues. Um, there's always light bulbs going off as I'm listening to your podcast about all of that, like codependency, PTSD, um, all that stuff is it's huge. And it's, and it's something I've had to work on for a long time. Thank you for sharing Kayla, Mariah. Um, I, my answer is really similar too. I just remember being, a little kid. Like I remember being out on the playground in like grade school and like trying to explain to my two best girlfriends at the time, something that had happened the night before and their parents, like they didn't even know what to say to me. It was like awkward. And I, and then, I mean, I just learned to kind of not talk about some of the stuff that we experienced because they had like parents that went to work, worked like a nine to five, came home, they had family dinners together and stuff like that. And we did do that at times, you know, but it was so unpredictable. Um, It was so dysfunctional. It was like riding the bus home. We didn't know if it was a good night, if it was a bad night, if they were, if we were going to see them before we went to bed, if we were going to see them, if it was going to be like chaotic and psycho, or if we were even going to be able to sleep in our own house or if we would have to leave. Um, so it was just kind of a lot of dysfunction and yeah, like once I got old enough, I mean, here in, you know, rural North Dakota, you can drive at 14. So once I got my permit and then still that way, no, I think you have to be 16 now, even out in these parts. Yeah. Unless you have like a farmer's license, then you can drive on the farm when you're under 16. (laughs) Yeah. But like, I mean, yeah, we were 14 driving and like, being able to like, you know, I think mom attempted to like give us curfews and stuff, but I mean, I don't know about you guys, but I, I snuck out a lot. And so once, once I knew that they were drinking heavy and it was one of those nights, you know, and they'd go to bed, I just knew that I had free range to kind of do what I wanted. I just started up my little Honda Civic and just drove out of the yard. (laughs) Like I wasn't afraid of really anything. I just had to get back home before 6am or something. And yeah, so I think I always kind of realized that things were off. And then when I went to college, all of the friends that I were that I was making that were from the bigger cities and stuff that came um, to college, they all had a lot different upbringings and families and stuff, and it just made me feel a little weird and kind of and and then that like victim mentality started to get to me where I was like, no one understands, you know. I grew up different, you know. I didn't have those opportunities or those chances. Well, your parents 
like are there for you. And, you know, I started doing all that. So it just kind of was a downward spiral from there. The first time I drove a car was when I was 14 too. I don't think I've shared this story on the podcast, but so my dad was out of town and my mom was drunk and passed out. And so for some reason, I just decided that it would be a good time to, you know, drive for the first time. Uh, so I was just kind of like driving around like a block and I, I turned too sharply and I knocked the, um, the side view mirror off the car. So then I drove home. And then as soon as I got home, I had already talked to my dad earlier that night. He knew that my mom had been drinking. And so I called my dad and I was like, dad, I just heard the garage door, like go down. Like mom went out and drove and he was like, well, go look at the car. And I like go into the garage and I was like, oh my God. I was like, the side view mirror is, is knocked off. And then I go walk into the living room where she's been passed out the whole time. And I'm like on the phone with my dad and I'm like, mom, where did you go? <laughs> like, where did you go? And, um, and she, and she, it actually had like a big impact, like on her, like she'd never done anything like that before where she just like drove randomly in a blackout. So I think that like that did scare her some and she stayed sober like for a little while after that. I remember her asking me a few days later, was that you? And I said, no. And then I told her, I I don't know. I, when I eventually told her it was like enough years had obviously like gone by where I couldn't get into trouble for it. So yeah, that's a good one. (sighs) Okay. Jackie, your turn. Um, for me too, it's still pretty similar. I feel like we all have pretty similar stories. Um, I just always knew something was off. Uh, my best friend, since I was like four until into high school, she had a really dysfunctional family too. So me and her both just kind of stuck together and really clung to each other growing up. So we kind of bounced back and forth from like, I'd stay for a week at her house until her dysfunction got too bad. And then we'd go to my house until my dysfunction got too bad. So we just kind of kept to each other and didn't talk about it. Um, And then when our relationship kind of fell out, I wasn't silent about it. I was very vocal about what was happening in my house when I was in high school um, and nobody really did anything about it. So I think I kind of knew and I didn't take steps to better myself or the situation until like recently, like the last couple of years I've been to therapy and things like that, but I always just knew I just never really acted on it. If that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, you're young too. You know what the fuck you're doing. So, right. um, (laughs) So feel free for anyone to answer this, but like, if we wanted to describe what your dysfunctional family looked like, there's a lot of drinking. (laughs) Um, both mom and dad. Yes. I mean, just kind of knowing what I know now. Um, my mom came from, um, a mother who passed away when she was seven years old and then she had to take care of her alcoholic father. So knowing that now and knowing who she is because of that, that's that. Um, and then my dad, super, super dysfunctional. Um, he was born to a mental, my grandma has mental illness. Um, I guess a couple of people in our family has said, you know, bipolar disorder, we're not sure she's not on any meds right now. Um, but then his dad was, um, a very angry, abusive drunk and she divorced him and then he remarried. So step grandma was definitely a drinker, heavy, heavy drinker. And then they owned multiple bars. So a lot of our childhood stuff was like walk to the bar after work stuff like that um so it was yeah it was a lot of drinking there wasn't any like hard drugs involved in my life um or our lives I should say um unless we're talking about my uncle my dad's youngest brother he was definitely um in and out of prison our whole lives mostly drinking but drugs were involved I know too it was just kind of something we didn't really talk about too much with him, but yeah, it was a lot of, a lot of drinking, um, and a lot of abuse with my parents too. Um, we were never, there were a couple times, um, with me that I was physically hit, um, not with his hands, but by objects. Um, thankfully I wasn't, so I can't, you know, compare myself to any of that, but I did witness it with my mom. So that was tough growing up. That was going to be my question would be, was what was their relationship like? It was pretty, it was, (laughs) yeah. Like I read, I distinctly remember it's like one of my most vivid memories. I think I was 
eight or nine. But my mom came up. It had to have been like five in the morning or something like that because the sun was coming up. And she crawled into my bed. And I had like kind of a high bed at the time. It was like, I don't know if you guys remember like the platform bed with all the shelves and stuff in it. So it was like high off the ground and she came crawling in and she was crying, but obviously drunk, like smelt at everything. And my dad comes charging up the stairs and is like freaking out about her cheating on him because they had their mutual friend over for the night and he got called to work. He worked on the railroad and they get called whenever. And he was pissed off about something and grabbed her by the hair and pulled her to the ground and started kicking her. And I was in so much shock. I just like jumped up on the bed and started screaming. And he just completely ignored me like I wasn't there and left for work. And then she got up and went downstairs and I was like, oh, so that was the first like vivid memory I remember of like seeing it. I remember hearing it before that, but never seeing it. What were, what would they, were there things that they typically would fight about? Were there like themes or? It was almost always money. money. It was, it was, um, she, if she's going to stay home all day with kids, the house should be clean. I make all the money around here. You should be a better parent. You should be doing more. You should. And it was never like, I don't remember him doing that sober very often. Like they'd have like little conversations, but it would always be wasted fights. So. And would they ever talk to you about their relationship or like, did you ever, like, did your mom ever have a conversation with you ever about him being like physically abusive? Um, like, would they try to get you involved in fights? There's Kiki. <laughs> Hi, Kiki. <laughs> um, no, they, it was a very hush hush thing. Like I like Jacqueline kind of, we had another family that, that the mom was really close to my mom and the dad was really close to my dad. And they were both super abusive assholes growing up. And there was us girls. And then there were two girls that were from that family. And one of the girls in my grade and the other one was a couple of years older. And yeah, it was just like, we kind of bonded together, like a trauma bond at a very young age, because we didn't know what to do or who to talk to. And since the same thing was happening in those households, it was like, we're just going to talk about it and be close together because this is crazy. (laughs) So, and a lot of the time they would go out drinking together and stuff too. So it was just easy, I think for them. Was there a lot of verbal or emotional abuse directed at you or any of you guys? No, like I kind of more relate about the abandonment um, with you where it's kind of like they were so consumed with their own issues that we were kind of forgotten. Go ahead, Mariah. I was going to say something about, yeah, that. Well, it was uh, still to this day, I don't know how to in, like introduce or think of the, that other family besides just saying like, you know, we're family friends um, just because like we were literally bonded together with certain with certain kids our age or similar in age because we had alcoholic parents and like really similar upbringings. So like a lot of like, I don't know what else to say because like right now, like I'm not really super like BFF with them anymore, you know, and like the only thing that we really not only, I mean, I love them, but like we bond over the fact like that we grew up the same. Um, and I remember there were several nights where mom would be, you know, dad would be at work or wherever he was, um, not home. Um, and she would be down. Remember she had that file cabinet that was just full of cigarette ashes. Cause she would stand there and smoke cigarettes out the window. Uh, and so I just remember sitting in the chair or sitting on that big desk and like, sitting next to her and she's just chain smoking cigarettes and drinking and crying and like trying to talk to me about whatever dad day or something. I don't like from me personally, I just remember dad being like, she's a shitty mom, you know, whatever. And then he would pull out the money thing. Like, Oh, you're going to leave. I'm taking the car keys. That's my car. I'm taking the checkbook. That's my money. You know, where are you going to go? These are my friends. This is my family. You have nowhere to go. And, you know, he would pull the, like, you're a bad mom card all the time. And I just remember being so confused because I'm like, she's a great mom. Like, what are you talking about? And I just was, I don't know. I just remember being really confused, like the whole time and not knowing, obviously we were team mom, like the whole, the whole time. And now like as an adult and doing my own therapy and understanding more about being an adult child and understanding more about my own addiction and codependency and attachment styles and everything. I, 
understand completely how like, obviously our parents pin us against each other and they want us to be on their team. And we were always team mom, but yeah, it's not until now pretty much like the last few years where I've just really started to understand how damaging it was to um, see mom as like the hero and like the right one when really she's uh, you know, we, neither parent was very um, healthy or um, you know, our attachment styles to both parents were both extremely vastly different and not healthy in either direction. So I think one of the most interesting things that I found from listening to this podcast, Andrea, is just realizing how much both of our parents are adult children, like clearly, uh, and how much two adult children from such dysfunctional homes had three adult children (laughs) who are now trying to navigate what the hell it is that like, you know, it's generational trauma and we're just for the first time, I mean, us three sisters trying to figure out our own stories and how to undo some of, you know, some of whatever's happened before us, you know? I think if we're an adult child, there's just a high probability that our parents are as well. So that, you know, that should just be the default. What about Jackie? Do you have anything on that that you wanted to share? Pretty much the same things. I mean, I remember a lot of fighting, a lot of yelling, like times we just sit at the top of the stairs and just like listen and like see what they were fighting about or whatever. Uh, My main thing with dad too is just money. Um, There was one time I remember we all split up. We were all at different houses. Uh, Mom's somewhere at the bar at a friend's house, whatever. And we were all staying somewhere else. Um, And he turned off all of our phones. So we couldn't contact each other and we were all split up. And I remember just panicking. So I was like, I don't know where my mom is. I don't know where my sisters are. And so we just always blamed him for all of the bad, but yeah, it was, it was both. They're both alcoholics, but in two totally different ways. So it's weird too being a child of alcoholics, but having two different alcoholics be your parents. Strange. (laughs) What about, was it alcohol? um, Was it ever discussed alcoholism, alcohol, like, was there, was that ever a topic at all that there was a a problem with alcohol in the family? I remember when mom's dad was passing away and there was talk about his liver and about it not working anymore and how he couldn't get a transplant or something like that. And I was so little, I didn't really understand. And so like, there was a lot of talk of how alcohol was killing people in our family but it was not discussed to quit drinking or slow down or to fix anything. It was just this sad, somber, overhanging, this is terrible that this is happening. Let's drink about it thing. (laughs) And it just was weird. Um, And yeah, I don't, I guess I remember hearing um, just in the last few years, my dad's sister, she's the only girl that grew up in, in that dysfunctional home um, and hearing her talk about, you know, the drinking in their home growing up and how it was obviously like it brought all the problems, but like still nobody's really talking about how maybe if we just don't drink, these problems won't exist. It's like, yeah, I don't know. This weird, this weird phenomenon is happening where alcohol is causing issues. Let's drink about it. We drink when we're sad. We're drink to celebrate. We're drink when we're bored. We're drink because it's Wednesday. We drink all the time. Yes, we do. (laughs) Um, and Mariah, when you and I talked before you were talking about the relationship with, um, your grandparents and how, you know, one of the resiliency factors of, you know, growing up in a dysfunctional family, one way to, I guess, dimmer the impact that it has is to, if, sorry, Kiki, can you go away? Um, is to, is when you have other, um, healthy adults, you know, in your life, whether that's other family members or a teacher or whatever that can make a real difference in how much our upbringings impact us is if we do kind of have that one positive relationship. And it sounded like that's what y'all had with your grandparents. Yeah, they were our great grandparents. Great grandparents. Yeah. But they lived like literally down the road from our house, but um, they were to me, from my perspective, they were like my saving grace. Like I was down here a lot 
Um, we would stay the night here a lot. We would get off the bus here a lot. We would get picked up to go to school from here a lot. And like, it was really nice knowing that we would have like a warm, beautiful meal and like there would be no yelling and we could play puzzles or whatever we wanted. And we would likely get a really awesome breakfast in the morning before we went on the bus. And like, that was my perspective from Papa and Yana. But it was also like when we got older uh, to even like driving age or whatever um from like 10 till basically when I graduated I had this I'm not sure I don't really remember having a specific moment where dad or mom was like this is not to be discussed with papa and nana but I just remember not feeling like I could tell them mm-hmm. how severe everything was down at the home so instead of literally driving down the road to come to papa and nana's when shit hit the fan at like 1 a.m we would drive past Papa and Nana's house with our headlights off so then we wouldn't wake them up and then go disperse to one of mom's friends or something. Um, And it was like super dysfunctional because obviously like this was a safe place to come. And now knowing as an adult, we could have totally came here. And I just don't know what that was all about. I totally have a, I have a totally different viewpoint of that, which is interesting. (laughs) Um, My grandparents were enablers to my parents so I used to, um, your grandparents or your great grandparents, my great grandparents, um, Papa and Nana is what we called them. <laughs> um, so they knew exactly what was going on. Um, my parents were very shameful of what was going on and how much drinking and abuse was happening around us. And they hid it from them because they were a huge financial factor and took care of us when they were out drinking and doing their thing. So it's, it's interesting. And I know going through therapy and, and working through some child trauma and everything, I know we're all going to have different perspectives and I don't want to discredit my younger sisters at all, but I, I did bring up um, abuse in my household and it was very nonchalant. Oh, it's not that bad. They're okay. You know, and then it was like just kind of seeing how much money they would have to borrow from them and and all those different things. It was very toxic and enabling. And, and even though they did provide us that really nice, uh, more healthy escape from the house that we lived in, it's still interesting um, going through all of the, the different things I did because I did think that too. I mean, that was... I was like, I had great grandparents and I, whatever. And it's like, but they didn't really talk about it either. And they knew what was going on. So it's interesting. I think that goes with the times though. And like, yeah, you know, what things were like then, mm-hmm. um, same thing. I remember, I don't know, maybe when I was four or five years old, I guess my dad called my mom's parents to tell them that my mom had a drinking problem and they just totally blew him off. I think part of it too is like, if you acknowledge the problem that like somehow that's like a reflection upon them in a way. Yeah. My viewpoint is more like Kayla's, but it's still kind of different. Like I never told, I remember bringing up like the dysfunction and the alcoholism to Nana. Um, and I, I wasn't as close with my Nana as everybody else was. It's not like a secret. I just wasn't. Um, and I think it's because when I brought it up to her, she would tell me not to talk about it. She would be like, oh, like, just forget about it. And my papa would talk to me about it. We would sit downstairs and I would vent to him and we would do puzzles and he would listen to me and like not speak. He would just wholeheartedly listen and his silent, strong, like wise man <laughs> vibes <laughs> and would just let talk. And then he would just apologize and tell me he's sorry, like what I was going through and it was going to be okay. And he just was that for me. So I kind of resented my Nana, I think growing up a lot and we just never were close because of that. So yeah, we just never talked about it. Yeah. And I think looking back, she just wanted the perfect family. We were hard. Our family was very hard to love. And my dad's sister's family was very easy to love. So that's, that's my perspective of, of everything. And I understand, you know, I understand why it's that way, but it sucked. <laughs> yeah. It was like a lot of like our, so our dad is the oldest sibling in there. So it's so my dad and then his younger sister. And then his younger brother was the one that was in and out of prison that we were talking about. And 
Yeah. It's like my dad stayed in this small town and continued the drinking and the abuse. And he literally repeated his father's life and his younger sister married into money and like a good, uh, like, I don't know, like just different style of family. And yeah, they had three girls too. So there was literally three of them and three of us. And we were like the dysfunctional, chaotic drinking at 14, kind of crazy, uh, chaotic home and they did not have similar stories coming from that side of the family and I think a lot of like bred it bred shame for me to just be like we're you know we're not that meaning that we we're not good enough we're not whatever enough fill in the blank <laughs> what about this dysfunctional family roles and there's the hero the scapegoat the, the mascot the lost child do you guys know those roles? I can pull up something that explains it because I'd be curious to see what role y'all feel like you've filled. There, I went through this with one of my therapists and there's been different times I played other roles. I mean, I switched to, I feel like I was the hero and then turned scapegoat, but obviously Kayla, and that's the other thing I wanted to talk with you about is because I know Mariah, you talked about feeling guilty when you finally la- left the home because you know you were leaving Jackie and I know when you went off to college, Kayla, you had been taking care of Mariah. Oh yeah. yeah. Both of them. Um, I had to make sure that they weren't hearing or getting involved as much as possible. That was like my mission. So right when I would hear like crazy stuff going on downstairs, I'd be like, let's play this game. <laughs> let's do this. So it was a lot of that. But then in the back of my mind, you know, I'm like, yeah, let's distract them and get them playing. But then I'm also going to listen to what's going on downstairs because I'm concerned. So, yeah. What about when you left and went to like hair school, like left the house? Well, that was tricky because I was so excited to get the hell out of there. Like I graduated in May, the end of May. I was like May 22nd and I was in Fargo, June. Like I was like, I'm out of here. I'm signing up for the first cosmetology course there is. And I did. And then it was like a month later, I think Mariah went in for this major spinal cord surgery. So I felt very like, this is very exciting for me, but I'm also forgotten about right now. So I had a, like a little bit of like jealousy kind of thing. Like I'm, I'm freshly out of school, you know, mom was all concerned about me, but now she's not. And then they kind of had like this first family bonding experience in a long time. And I wasn't anywhere around. So that was the first time that I, I mean, I had drank and done drugs and tried all sorts of things through high school, but I had never um, binge drank for so many days and so often until I got into my first apartment and was going to beauty school. Like that was the first time where I was like definitely in a pattern. Um, I think it was like halfway through beauty school, Mariah, when I got that, my first minor and you were there because <laughs> like sleepover at my house, so I'm going to invite all these people and we're just going to, it was like a loud party violation and a minor and people were like running out the windows and doors. I think, I don't know. It was crazy. <laughs> so like, yes, I, I think that I think that I finally like really started to become what an adult child is when I got into college. And I think it was just like all this stuff, like the world's against me, like the victim mentality that Mariah had mentioned. I was there like hardcore, like, well, whatever. I'm just going to play this role then. Cause this is who I am, I guess. What about for you, Mariah? Like when she left, I mean, do you remember like dreading that or was that like a significant time for you? Um, I remember like getting excited to go up to Fargo and stay in your apartment with you. And I just remember like ordering Herberts and Gerberts off of like a takeout menu. And I just thought it was the coolest fucking thing that some guy was going to bring sandwiches to. Right. Yeah. I was like, what? Some guy's going to bring sandwiches here. (laughs) And you you (laughs) had like this DVD player. You had this DVD player. I had a DVD player. No internet. And so we literally watched that. What with that with the Charlie Bartlett? Yeah, we watched Charlie Bartlett, and I just remember being like Charlie Bartlett. Oh my god, watch it! It's, it's awesome. Really cool. Um, I just remember being like, yeah, I'm cool. Like my sister is out of the house, so I can go stay with her. But like, yeah, then it turned into like I would party with you and your friends because you would throw parties, and I would 
like show up for the tequila shots and whatever, you know? Yep. So it was just kind of crazy right off the bat. Um, and also, yeah, like when I left to go to NDSU, like when, when I left, I was the same thing. I was like, here it is. I was terrified out of my mind what it meant to leave home and just like for myself, but also like I was leaving Jacqueline home and I didn't even, I was so torn. I was so confused. Um, and I remember being afraid for mom's life and I remember being afraid for Jacqueline's life and also being freaking elated that I could be me. But also as soon as I got to that dorm, I binge, I binge drink every day, like all the time. It was constant because I could. And I think a lot of like the trauma of all of the mixed feelings that I was feeling was really easy to cover up with alcohol. Oh yeah. Then it was, then you didn't have to feel anything. It was awesome. (laughs) Yeah. Um, What was that like for you, Jackie? uh, Like when you were the last man standing? I still had what four, four years of high school left. So I was an only child for a, a while. But um, when Mariah was leaving, I remember Kayla leaving and me being like, this is okay. Like me and Mariah have an escape, you know, sometimes me and Mariah are still on this together. Um, And then when Mariah left, I was horrified. Like, I didn't know what to do. I didn't know where, where I could go. I didn't know like anything that was safe. I was scared to leave the house because I was scared to leave my mom. Mm. So I was constantly like wanting to sneak out and not be at home. But then wanting to be home because I wanted to save mom. (laughs) So I just didn't know what to do either. So a lot of my relationships got really strained. I didn't really visit my grandparents much after that. Um, I kind of bounced around. I didn't really live at home often. I would like go home to shower and grab a meal when my parents weren't home. But I stayed a lot of different places. I stayed in motels in Enderlin, which is the town I went to high school in. Um, I stayed with friends. I stayed at my dad's dad's house. I stayed at my piano teacher's house a few times. Like I just kind of stayed where I could when I could. And it was just, I don't know. I didn't really have a home. I felt like my whole high school. Did y'all know that? Yeah. Not to that extreme. Like I knew, I knew she stayed at different places, but not like all over the place like that all the time like piano teacher I didn't know there's that one. so many like random houses I'm like I don't even know who lives there but I crashed in their porch like so many there's so many places where I'd be like at the bar because my parents were drinking and some rando would be like well do you want to come stay in my spare bedroom and I would there's some random lady or some random people going back to a house and I just crash on their couch or whatever and wake up and go to school wow school was my safe place so yeah, I had good grades, went to school, <laughs> but it was just everything else was chaos. Right. Were you kind of more scapegoaty? Um, what do you mean? Like the, well, did any, did any of y'all get into trouble? Like in high school? Like, were you- I did. <laughs> I got a DUI when I was 14. Um, I also like Kayla, um, we kind of, I feel like got our rambunctious, selves out a little bit in high school compared to Mariah. Mariah, I feel like was more like academic and sportsy. Um, I did a lot of experimentation in high school with alcohol, with drugs, with everything. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I didn't, I dabbled in that also when I left and actually was on my own, but a lot of it was in high school. I meant more, more so did any of you become the, the, the identified patient and like identified as the problem? I I don't think our parents really took enough time to focus on one of us enough to make us a scapegoat. Like they were so involved with themselves that they just didn't have the time to point any fingers or any problems at us. It was just them, them, them. Um, so I want to pull up, hold on. So let's look at the laundry list and I'd like to know, I see if you want to take a look and look at it, but I want to know which pick the top two that resonate with you the most. So I'm going to look at it. So like two that 
that you strongly relate to and how, like what that's looked like for you? I feel like eight and nine are me personally, which is we become addicted to excitement and we confuse love and pity and tend to love people we can pity and rescue for sure. And how has that showed up for you? Like the addicted to excitement as an adult? Um, again, more relationships, like very, I needed very low lows at very high highs and thought that that was love. That was the only way that I could have love is if that was happening. So when I met my now husband, I was like, Oh my God, he's so boring. It's annoying. I cannot be with him. Like gross. I'm not going on another date. (laughs) My therapist was like, did you maybe think like that could be healthy that you don't fight and make up? Like maybe you should just try it for a little while. And I was like, Oh, that's interesting. (laughs) Yeah, I get it. (laughs) I understand. (laughs) I'm I think that if we, if we like are super into somebody like on the very first date, like that means that we really just should be running for the Hills. <laughs> right. <laughs> Bad sign. Um, and so prior to meeting your husband, I mean, what was the, um, what was the type of guy that you kept finding yourself? Was it, you know, addicts, alcoholics, like abusive narcissists, all of it. Um, oh God, narcissistic number one. And then it just came with alcohol and gaslighting and just crazy. And I married one of them. So this is marriage number two. I call that my practice marriage. How long did that last? Um, We were married on paper for two years, but I moved into great grandma's house about a year and a half after we were married. And then we got our divorce soon after. I still call it your Kim K wedding. (laughs) that works how long had y'all been dating before you got married a long time like three years didn't you tell me maria didn't you go off on him or something yeah oh god oh god casually sips drink (laughs) like no comment yeah yeah i actually um i was at the height of um i was definitely drinking that night and uh was very angry. And, uh, when I walked into the house, um, Kayla and him lived together. Um, and when I walked in, cause she had called me and told me to come out there and help her. Um, and when I walked in, he was standing over her and like, she, I just, I got the sense that she was like in this corner, the way that dad had put mom in a corner all the time. And I was like, I feel really sorry for what's about to happen to you, sir. And, uh, I don't know. It just, I saw red and I don't really remember. I remember you ripped our relationship counseling book in half that his pastor had given us. And like, (laughs) I still am just like, yes, I felt so good. I I felt such, (laughs) I felt such shame after that night though. Like it's still hard for me to talk about it. Cause I just remember like I saw red, you know, but then like, I, I felt like it was my, um, I don't know. I had just recently lost my two best friends in high school, they were like attached to my hip and I lost them both over my outburst of them allowing men to treat them certain ways. And I was like, why the fuck would you allow that? Sorry. I just swearing is allowed. Right. Are you, have you ever listened to my fucking podcast? <laughs> yeah, I, I fucking have. <laughs> and so I had like, I had just lost my two best friends due to like my outbursts of how they allowed men to treat them. And then I just did that to my older sister. And I just remember feeling like, Oh my God, like I am making a train wreck of everybody else's lives because of their decisions. And I can't allow them to live their own lives. And it was really, really not good for me. And I just remember being like, I'm my father's daughter. I hit people when I'm mad and it just kind of, it was not good. (laughs) Well, I appreciated you guys picking me up (laughs) just so you know, (laughs) crisis averted for one night. Okay, Mariah, what what are your two? Oh, Jesus. I I identify with all of these, literally, like all of them. I just started smiling. I got to like number 10 and I was like, I think I have 10 fingers up. Um, So I, I literally, I don't know how to pick two. I guess I'm still, I'm still two and three. I still become a, I'm an approval seeker. 
And sometimes I wonder if I'm doing something because I want someone to approve of what I'm doing. I did that a lot in even grade school and middle school, high school, college. I used to come home with, you know, if I could get an A plus on the top of my paper and show it to mom or Nana or someone and they could say, good job. I felt like I was doing something right. Um, Or I could like be seen in that way. And still I like have to check myself. Like, am I doing this because I want to, or because I think that people will like me for doing this thing. Um, And then just today I had a conversation with my, he's my business partner, but I kind of work for him right now. And I work with um, placing the homeless into, um, you know, homes and better situations than they're in. And I had a conversation with him about how I'm not seeing anybody that is not coming into the office. Like I won't meet them anywhere besides in the safety of the office because a lot of them are drunk or using drugs. And um, I feel so frozen. Um, And I just told him straight up, I was like, if I end up punching someone, (laughs) I just don't want to put you in legal trouble. (laughs) So I want them to only meet me in the office. Like I just, I am frightened by angry people. If someone is angry and yelling and I immediately am quiet in the corner and I just want to escape and like become the wallpaper. (laughs) What about you, Jackie? My two were two that they said. So that's funny. <laughs> um, my first one was three. Um, not really. Well, if, I'll, let me say what it is for people. So people know. number three is we are frightened by angry people and any personal criticism. Yep. So mainly, I guess, personal criticism, I'm pretty good with unless it's like someone's being mean. I mean, like any like normal criticism or whatever I'm good with angry people too. Um, I do the same thing with Mariah where like, if you hear someone yelling or there's like an argument going on, like a toxic one, all of the hair will kind of stand up just on my body. Um, And instead of like backing into a corner though, and being scared, I get angry also. Um, I'm very, (laughs) I'm very quick to be aggressive and defensive compared to like shrinking away. Um, and then the other one was nine. Like we confuse love and pity and tend to love people we pity and rescue. Um, pretty much every single substantial relationship I've had has been either an alcoholic, um, somebody that's addicted to drugs or somebody that's severely narcissistic. Um, and after every time we break up or whatever, I have these breakups, I'm always like, man, Man, those sad souls. Like, how did I ever let myself fall for somebody that really needs that much help? <laughs> but it's just, it's me. Yeah. I'm assuming that most of y'all can relate to that or just the, the inability to pull yourself out of, you know, toxic, unhealthy romantic relationships. Yeah. Just a little bit, <laughs> just a tiny bit. I I can't sometimes even like when I start to like somebody I'm like if I like them that means that they're not a good person like I it's I like don't trust myself to like people anymore like right now I just went on a date with like I've seen I've been seeing this guy like four times right now and I'm just like what am I overseeing like you know I'm like I just need more therapy before any relationship works but I'm like damn it like I'm two years clean like I'm pretty sure it could be okay for me to attempt, but I'm like, a, I'm like just nervous, you know, what my motives are. I had some cute, I had some cute boyfriends. Like, don't you guys remember like, like the ones that are now gay or like, you know, like, oh, but, but the common denominator, Andrea is always emotionally not available. Unavailable. <laughs> no shit. Um, so what is, what is, what does family look like today? You know, what's, What's y'all's relationship like with your parents? Do they, um, do they know that y'all like have been in therapy and like, I mean, like what is their knowledge and awareness of, I guess, maybe your struggles or how your childhood impacted you? Like, have you ever had a conversation with either one of them about this stuff? You're muted. You're muted, Kayla. Hi. Hi there. (laughs) Um, I think off and on, I've tried to talk with them, but it's almost like they're embarrassed. Like I feel dad, I, it's, it's kind of interesting. Like I I'm not embarrassed they're alcoholics and they're in denial that, you know what I mean? Like they just aren't capable right. of going there, unfortunately. Right. And it, that's what it is. It's just a shutdown. Um, and my mom's been through a lot. I mean, she just, she's now in remission as of November, um, from lung cancer. Um, mm-hmm. we thought we were going to lose her. She was stage three C. I mean, 
basically done. Um, So it's crazy to think that navigated all that. Now she's out on the other end. Um, That was really hard for our family, but then um, I don't desire a further relationship with my dad. So that's kind of like a, and I'm okay with that. I, I love both of my parents now, which I went through like a big thing where I just hated them and resented them for everything. Cause it was their fault because of how I was, you know, whatever. But now like Mariah, I mean, what was it? 2016 when I, when I got divorced and I started working with my own um, personal development coach and um, opened up a business and now have employees. Um, one of them just put in her two weeks yesterday, um, just, big things that I have to deal with, you know, big abandonment issues, big codependency issues, um, all these different things. It's, they are where they are and I love them where they're at. And I like to share, you know, my failures and my successes and things like that, but I don't try to push anything on them anymore. I mean, I feel like I used to do that a lot. Like here, take a sip of the Kool-Aid. You guys need it more than any of us, (laughs) but they're just where they're, they are. And I just love them the way they are. And I think that's kind of the viewpoint I have with everyone in my life now. It's like, I'm doing me for me and, and hopefully just me modeling and kind of doing the best that I can for myself. That's, that's what I can do. So, yeah. When you say you don't desire to have a relationship with your dad, I mean, does, does that mean you don't, don't want to talk to him or see him ever, or you just don't want him, you don't want to be close to him? I don't want to be close to him. I think that where we are now is fine. You know, when I go back home and I see him occasionally, that's fine, but it's not, uh, you know, I'm wondering where, what he's doing or anything like that. It's just kind of, a. and I mean, it's something that I'm working with, with my relationship therapist too, um, of making sure that I, cause for a while I was like, well, I need to, I need to have a relationship with my dad because I was told that like, yeah. there's something wrong with you. If you think that you don't need it, a relationship with your dad and as I'm getting older and kind of just growing as a person I'm like I don't need to have a relationship with anyone um so that's just kind of where I'm at with it and it's not it's not out of anger anymore it's not out of resentment it's just a choice that I made for myself yeah what's best for you yep what about the the rest of you um I kind of feel the same way I like that she said like we love them where they're at (laughs) And that's just kind of how it is. It's just kind of growing up too. Um, my mom has been just like more of a best friend than really like a nurturing mother. Um, so I have a really good relationship with my mom. I call her like every other day we text or whatever. Um, my dad more so it's kind of the same. I feel like I'm probably closer to my dad than the other two. Um, but also, I don't really care to be close to him. Um, it's just kind of one of those things where I see him and I'm just like, nice to see you. And then just go about your own day. I don't think about him either or text him or call him or anything like I would. My mom It's just like he exists out there in the universe mm-hmm. and that's fine with me. And then Mariah, you're living across yeah. the street for them, right? I live with them. <clears throat> oh, oh, it's best for last. Yeah. What's going on? <laughs> what's going on in the home? Can we get it? We need an, up- an update. Um, well, both Kayla and Jacqueline, um, they're like comfortable and, um, choosing to build a life in Fargo and in North Dakota. And I've been always the one that's like, I can't wait to get out of here. So when my lease was up a few months ago, I just sold everything that I owned and moved out to the farm. And this is actually the house that I'm in right now is my Papa Nana's home. This was like our safe haven that we came to. You know, this is like where I feel most comfortable on the entire globe. And when my Nana passed away last November, my parents bought the house. So it was very strange. Like they, it's very weird being here. And then it's me and my two parents um, who I have not lived with in over a decade. (laughs) Um, It's been really, really beautiful getting closer with mom since she's in remission from her lung cancer. Um, and even just like everything that I've went through in recovery and all the therapy and stuff that I've been doing, it's been really spiritually insane in sometimes the coolest ways and sometimes the most frustrating ways being here. But I feel like I need this closure out here. You know, I'm like planting in Papa and Nana's garden and like cooking in Nana's kitchen. And 
I'm doing all the things to like spiritually connect with my great grandparents the way that I need to right now before I leave. And um, tonight was one of those nights where I came home from Fargo and they're both very, very drunk and dad was drooling, sitting up, sleeping. So it's very um, dumb for lack of a better term. I don't really know what else to say except for that they're nearing 60 and this is still going on, but um you know, I need to recognize my triggers when that happens and understand how full of disgust I feel and not that I want to join them by any means <laughs> in the drinking when I see that now. And he's not um, abusive and yelling and throwing things anymore, which is really freaking cool. Um, yeah, that's not that so I've cool. Seen, like, wow. How lucky. Really? I mean, I feel lucky. Um, and yeah, it's just been it's been really different and I'm going to stay here through the winter, but I can't wait to see where the hell I go next. Me too. There's no fucking way I could live with my parents. Would be. Trust me. I don't know why I'm doing it. Some days I'm like, I'm driving home the 45 minute drive. And I'm like, why did I do this? Every time you come in and get your nails done, I'm like, you're such a warrior. (laughs) Or dumb. (laughs) Yeah. I, and then I question myself too. I'm like, am I like this like attachment style codependent weirdo where I'm like clinging to mom for some reason or like what's going on here? Like I question myself I just myself think you have your eye on the prize. You just have your eye on the prize. Like you're ready. You're when you get your stuff paid off and you're ready to go, like you're going to be ready to go. Right. <laughs> I don't have yeah, any furniture. That, that does help like to really have a like a there's a pretty yes. a deep purpose behind it that makes it a you know yeah i mean i'm not paying yeah, rent right now yeah i'm not paying rent i sold all my big stuff i can literally get in my car with my kitten and throw a dart at a map and see where i'm going so um all right well any final thoughts anything you got to get off your chest this has been oddly healing. That's all I have to say. I don't know what it is. Like, I think I can skip a meditation to later. Um, I was going to, one thing that I forgot to mention, for some reason, I just thought it would come up in conversation. The year that Papa passed away. Remember that fun year where every single one of us in our family got a DUI within a- yes. Every single one. Like that should be like in a Guinness Book of World Records somewhere. Yeah. Every single one Wait, of just us. Just the three of you? No. Oh, wow. Mom oh, and no. dad too. Uh, Mom and oh, really? what year was that 2015 2016 I led the pack so it was 20 2014 right after I got married and my I realized I think what I had done walking down the aisle with this individual so I ended up drinking a lot a lot a lot a lot Mariah was in the car with me that time too and the judge really loved that um so yeah I was arrested that night it was the day before Thanksgiving remember that that's so impressive, guys. Yeah. All, all five cool. of you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mine, was, um, mine involved punching a cop, and it was three days before I was in one of my best friend's wedding. So I got out in time for the groom's dinner to have a few beers. Yeah, that was fun. And what about you, Jackie? I totaled my Jeep on the interstate. Oh, were you drunk? I absolutely was drunk. <laughs> I had also... And underage? Yeah, that was in the midst of my hard drug addiction, too. So I had been up for a couple days, um, went to a house party, drank a full bottle of Jack Daniels, smoked a lot with a bunch of people, don't remember anything. And I woke up on the side of the road. Some lady was really trying to get me out of my car. So I got on the side of the road and waited for the cops. And they honestly were very, very, very nice to me. They let me off very, very easy. (laughs) I wasn't, I was on unsupervised probation for six months. Um, they pretty much just told me I was lucky to be alive and to get help and sent me home. So, but I mean, around here in small town, rural North Dakota, people literally joke about it. Like it, when we got DUIs, you know, people would just like nudge you with their elbow and be like, Oh, you're in the club now. Or, Oh, it's your rite of passage. Like it was, it, you know, and I do not mean to make light of it because I'm sure for any of your other listeners, it's probably like, I mean, probably not adult children listening in. It's, you know, it can be normal, but like it was literally so normal to get a DUI. <laughs> it was like, oh, but happened to me too. Like it was just. Oh, yeah. When I got my DUI, everybody was like, oh, well, you're lucky. You're under 21. <laughs> like they'll let you off really easy. Good way to get it out of your system. 
And I mean, they did let me off easy, but my insurance fucking sucks now because I was under that drinking age. So they really hit me hard with that one. (laughs) I'm still paying for that. I think I have like one more year left or some shit like that on my insurance. I don't remember. Well, you guys are probably trapped a little bit like in the, I don't know, like the sixties or the seventies. I feel like that's (laughs) probably the way that it used to be where basically, you know, they just be like, okay, we'll drive home safely. You know, Uh you guys are just like, you're in just in a time warp there. And I want to say, I'm going to, I'm going to rank the North, the North Dakota accents. So (laughs) Kayla's got the best, don't you know, strongest, then Jackie and then Mariah. That's the rank. I have tried so hard. No, I taught at college and I was saying long O's and I would get made fun of so bad. So I feel like I've really worked on it unless I'm saying (laughs) something like, oh, it's cold outside. We got to go get our coats. Like then it comes out. Yeah. 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 It's very faint with you. And then with Kayla, it's, I I think it probably spent the most time with great grandpa and grandma. There it is. (laughs) Well, thank you, ladies. Well, that wraps up today's episode. As always, I hope you heard something that you could relate to that can help you. If not, that's your problem. Um, Thank you girls so much for sharing so openly and honestly. Uh, I would love to do this again with some more siblings. Um, And the one thing I do want to say is, so Mariah, the middle sister, she is a recovery and mindset coach. She recently launched her coaching program, Prism. We talked about this some in the interview, but I was trying to keep it under an hour. So I'm actually going to include the rest of the interview on the Patreon once that's launched. Um, And I also would like to do another event with her maybe on Patreon as well. So in the show notes, you will find a link to her Instagram. You can find me on Instagram and TikTok at Adult Child Pod. Next week, uh, it's an intense interview. It's a heavy interview. So I'm talking to the author of Toy Cars. If you want to go check it out, it's Nathan Spiteri. I think I'm pronouncing that correctly. Amazing Australian accent. So get pumped for that. But He has a memoir that came out. I do want to say it involves childhood sexual abuse, so trigger warning in advance, but it is a wonderful conversation with him. So I'm going to see y'all mofos next week. It's going to be super raw. It's going to be super vulnerable, and I am super excited for y'all to hear it. It's going to be a goodie. I promise.